Welcome back to another episode of Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott, as usual. And we have a first-time guest joining us today. Yes, uh, we do. A first-timer. <laughs> collectively one of our favorite people and a very talented guy, um, Andrew Johnson. Hi, Andrew. everybody. Hey. Woo! I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> and the movie we're talking about today is from 1999. Yes. It's The Talented Mr. Ripley, uh, which... I don't have as much of an extensive history as you guys probably do, so mm-hmm. I'll let you guys start off. Like, how did you guys come across this movie for the first time? And you want to start, Andrew? Yeah. Why don't you start? I'll what? just let me give the people uh, all that they're going to get. Okay, fine. I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> um, well, um, I was in love with Matt Damon. <laughs> and was what happened? Well, oh, he said some things. Yeah, <laughs> he can still get it. But I um, just wanted to watch. Uh, Matt Damon do some stuff because he's awesome. And then I found out that this movie's pretty gay. And I was on board. Yeah. It is a gay man's love story. Yes. Well, I mean, one of them is a murderer. But other than that, I, I was know. just I was all about dude law back in the day. Oh, who possibly isn't? sharing a bathtub. We'll get to that. Oh, my God. That scene was like, I am not a gay man. And even I was kind of a little like, when that scene came on, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is getting heat. This is getting heated. You know, you could just feel the tension between the two of them. And Jude Law stepping out of the tub. I rewinded it a few times. <laughs> I'll admit. I'll admit. I completely forgot that we saw Dong in this movie. Totally. And I like high five myself <laughs> as, a, as a thirty-two, as a thirty-four-year-old man. I was like, we did it. Who's well, we? And well, what did we do? But we did it. Well, when this movie first came out, you know, you and I were about the same age. What, thirteen? Fourteen? I was about. I was so fifteen. And you're fifteen. So I was about fourteen then. So, I mean, you know, for me to see, you know, Dong like that coming out of the tub, I was like, whoa. And it was Philip Seymour Hoffman, too. That was the. (laughs) (laughs) You don't see him. (laughs) All right, guys. I'm just joking. And we're keeping dibs, yeah. (laughs) I just love the fact that we haven't even been five minutes in and already we've discussed that. Look, I told you not to make me go first. I I told you what was going to happen before this started. So, you know, I remember the very first time I saw this movie was around the time that it came out. I want to say it was probably maybe 99, 2000, and it was getting all this buzz. And um, my uh, best friend slash neighbor at the time, like, we would always go over to his house to watch some of the more risque movies because we could never get away with watching those things at my house. And so Bobby, I think he, maybe his mom or he or whatnot, we rented Talented Mr. Ripley from Blockbuster. For anyone who remembers Blockbuster... Oh, I do. And um, yes. And I remember we went over to Bobby's house and watched it, and he kind of didn't really care for it much. I think he just didn't really get it, but I was kind of mesmerized. It just left an impression on me. I, I, I liked the darkness to it, and of course the 50s nostalgia, being in Italy. You know, it was almost whimsical and dreamlike for me from a cinematic standpoint. And then you had these dark undertones and this person just struggling with identity and sexuality. And uh, I just thought it was really neat. It, it was one of those. I remember watching it, feeling like this is an adult movie, mm-hmm. and I'm like kind of still a kid, and, I, and I'm and I'm watching and understanding this adult movie, and that was really cool. So this was like a movie that y- you feel like was a transition from just watching movies for fun, and this felt like artful. It like it, it felt did. like a big it bold. Did. Okay, yeah, it, it definitely seemed like something sort of clicked, and I was like, oh, okay. You know, um, I got that, and I enjoyed it. And there was 
you know, I, I liked the mystery and, and the murder and the psychological aspects, of course, and then the, the romance and the 50s nostalgia and just everything about it kind of seemed like a dream. Mm-hmm. And even the way that it ends, it's still a very abrupt ending. You're not really sure what happens to Tom Ripley. Does he ever get caught, you know? Um, it, it really... Uh, felt like I was in a dream. When I got done watching it, it was very much unresolved, kind of like how dreams are. Mm-hmm. You just wake up and you just don't really know what happened, how you got there, and you find yourself in these situations. And um, I don't know if anybody has ever interpreted this movie. Like, I know when we did American Psycho, one of the things we talked about is a lot of people think or theorize that it's a dream. You know, when I rewatched this movie um, the other day, I kind of started thinking that about this. Was this all a fantasy? You know, it just seems so absurd. Some of these moments, and and how he got away with that, and um, I don't know. Maybe that's something we could talk about. Yeah, what I remember from my recollection is I watched it on video when it first came out mm-hmm. because this was at a time when these movies. I lived in Youngstown at the time, and they weren't getting wide releases throughout the entire country. You would only see these movies in like major, major markets. And 1999 was a huge year. I was like at the mm-hmm. height of my cinephile obsession because 1999 was a huge year for movies. There was a lot of great films coming out like Being John Malkovich and Magnolia, which at the time I mm-hmm. loved. I think I wouldn't love it as much now, mm-hmm. but uh, I think American Beauty at the time was a huge, yeah. huge film. American Fight Club. Pie. American Pie came out in 1999. Right, right. That's yeah. a different vein, but like yeah, there were yeah. a lot of big movies that year. There yeah. were. There were a lot of... It was of... sort of the turning point of the century, you know, it, it was. And, and a lot of those movies were iconic mm-hmm. or revolutionary yeah. for the time, so it was a big year for, for film buffs. Uh, and this movie felt like maybe it was not quite as... At the time, with all the other movies, it didn't get quite as much attention mm-hmm. as some of those other films did, but I remember enjoying it, but not having the impact on, on mm-hmm. me that those other films did. And I also feel like I had kind of a Matt Damon backlash mindset because... How dare you? I know. <laughs> He's I'm the sorry, same guys. way with Leo. I know. And I think a lot of it was Goodwill Hunting because they made him look like this amazing torture genius in that movie on every level that felt unrealistic to me. So I felt like some of that anti-Goodwill hunting vibes entered into the Mr. Ripley, which now I think Matt Damon is a great actor, and I, I love him in most things I've seen him in, including this. But I think that Goodwill hunting kind of well, pushed you know, me Prior away. to this movie, he played – a lot of the characters he played were just naturally detestable people. Like he plays – I think of anybody, he plays – people you really dislike mm-hmm. like school ties you ever see school ties he's like, terrific in that uh, he's you hate him you want to punch him in the face same with goodwill hunting you want to punch him in the face through most of the movie because he just he, i think he, in real life you want to punch yeah him i think the, there is that too. quality to him yeah there's like this this yeah i can't yeah. articulate what it is but he definitely has that dickish i don't know what it is this is the, yeah yeah and i think he uses it in this movie mm-hmm. where you you don't trust him at all yes. at any point. Even he's not really particularly doing anything in most of the movie. But um, yeah, he's Matt, if you're listening, I don't <laughs> agree with any of this. <laughs> and I don't I, know as a person. You've been in my heart since you walked out of in the Rainmaker <laughs> when you were shirtless and you walked out <laughs> to uh, unload that mulch. Matt, if you're listening, I'm just saying I, I get where they're coming from. I, I really, <laughs> I'm very indifferent about you, quite honestly. I, I always kind of like Ben a little bit better. Oh, but um, 
fighting words. Uh, I know, right? Although you were great in The Departed. But again, you played a swarmy, mm-hmm. you know, very much disliked. So, yeah, now I'm left to question, will I ever trust he, you? He has played more likable characters more recently, like The Martian. And, but was that really a great movie? Well, I mean, he was a likable character. It was a good movie. I enjoyed that. But he played a likable character in that movie. Um, yeah. And I, if Matt, if you are listening, I'd like to say that I've revised my feelings of you <laughs> since 1999. Like, I do think you're a great actor. And yes. I'm going to compliment him. And what Scott was saying, to reiterate, is he's not afraid to play cowardly, mm-hmm. unseemly, likable characters. Because some people, like especially actors, they... If even if they're playing a bad guy, they want the bad guy to be cool. And Matt Damon's not afraid to play somebody that isn't cool, yeah. but somebody that you're not going to admire. Philip Seymour Hoffman, I would, in this movie, is another actor who mm-hmm. isn't afraid of that either. And well, yeah, I think a, a great testament to Although that. Although I think his character thinks he's cool in this movie. <laughs> That's the best part about <laughs> it. I think Philip C. Hoffman is only concerned with himself in this movie. I mean, he's yeah, very he is. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying, Sean. And, and thinking about Matt Damon's performance in The Departed, which I really enjoyed. Me too. That's a great example of how he um, plays a guy who's really unadmirable in every way, shape, or form. Just a total coward. Sure. Not concerned with being cool, but just... Well, you could tell that I'm Stop. schizophrenic when I watch the part for a number of reasons because I'm all Leo, over the map. You it's can't, <laughs> you can't stand the fact that you're voting. <laughs> I have major issues with Leo DiCaprio, but it's a Scorsese film. It's right, and it has Nicholson. You exactly. know, yeah. Sean is torn because he he wants but, to vote for Leo in that there, movie, but then he feels like <laughs> there's nothing that bothered me more than the scene when Jack Nicholson goes, "You know what? You're a tough guy, and I respect you." To Leo, and I'm like, "No, no, you don't, Jack. Don't go there." <laughs> was it because his accent goes in and out throughout that entire movie? <laughs> yeah, I know it just, does. Where he just decided to give up. One day and was like, hey, no one's buying this Boston accent. I guess I'll just be Leo. I'm sure people think Wahlberg's faking his accent, but that's not the case. That actually is Wahlberg's real accent in that movie. And Matt Damon is from Boston. So. Yeah, so Matt Damon, you know, is authentic too. Did you know that DiCaprio turned this role, Mr. Ripley, down? I'm not surprised. I, I, and I'll be honest. I'm not. I'm not the biggest Caprio fan, but I think he would have done well with the role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, it's. It's. I think it's in his. My biggest problem with Leo is not that he's not uh, untalented actor. It's just that he picks a lot of roles. I think that like he plays like tough guys. I don't. He tries to play like tough guys. Yeah, yeah. like he like the, the Revenant and like he's it's a, He's much better. He's a pretty boy. Was. was he's kind of like rough now. <laughs> he hasn't aged well. It's like yeah. leather. In the nineties, he was. Well, that's. He I believe that's just that right. is probably drugs and models. Leo, I don't know. Yeah, um, but <laughs> in the nineties, he was Jack. Yeah, he's trying to get yeah. away from that. Yeah, he was gonna. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. He, was, he just went away for a while. Yeah. But uh, I, I, the character of Mister Ripley. If we could, we could talk about Mister Ripley, and I do have a problem because I'm never convinced that he's this great mimic. <laughs> I give Jude Law a lot of credit for selling it, um, but like he's like, oh my god, it's just like I'm talking to my dad. It's like that sounds like Matt Damon yeah. doing a deeper voice. That is a superb bit of acting on Jude Law's part because he really convinces you that he thinks. Well, wait, wait a minute, he's doing like second takes and everything, yeah. and he's not that, like Scott said. It's not that great. Yeah. He just captures the cadence, really, yeah. not the voice. That, that's why I think Matt Damon's kind of miscast here because that's not his strong suit as an actor. Like Christian Bale was someone that's up, and Christian yeah. Bale is a chameleon, so that but would make it very. But very I'm glad darker. that he turned this down so that he could do American, American Psycho because that was just amazing. But maybe, that that he should have won an Oscar for that movie, American Psycho. Yeah. I will also say with Bale too. Like I think Matt Damon maybe works better because this looks like they're going for youth, right? Yeah. 
where Bale, even though he's the same age as Matt Damon, more or less, he feels older to me. He's like, more sophisticated. Yeah, I think. Bale always struck me as like yeah. like more older than his age. You know? Well, at the beginning of the movie, the dad, Dickie's dad, says, "You're so talented," and I was like, "What did he actually do?" <laughs> he, played he, played the the he played the piano. He played the piano. I want to mention that Dickie's dad is the ultimate go-to guy for yuppie pricks. If you want a yuppie prick, like he was in Son of a Woman as yeah. like the dean. If you want a yuppie prick, and I have to get this guy's name, you have to go to this guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we don't even know his name. He's just I don't know. Guy. But he I does have know. a very recognizable face. Yeah, he's he in a lot of stuff. Yeah, what is he was in uh, Independence Day. He, he was, was one of the generals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. I think it's Jack Davenport. Yeah. Ooh, I like that name. <laughs> that is a great name. <laughs> yes. I also like the name Dickie Greenleaf. Yeah, Dickie Greenleaf. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's uh, Peter. No, no, you're thinking of Peter S- Smith Kingsley as Jack Davenport. Uh, James R- Red Redhorn oh, is okay. Herbert Greenleaf. Yeah. I think we just damaged all of those names yeah. anyway, <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Uh, we'll get that corrected. In, in no, because uh, uh, Marge goes, oh, you must meet Peter Smith Kingsley. He's the best. Like, she's selling mm-hmm. it to him. You must meet him. He was he was so sweet. I loved Peter, and I, I really was heartbroken when he got... Yeah, I really wanted it to work out between those I two. I did, too. I, was I, I wanted Ripley to get away with it. I don't yeah. think I watched this movie correctly. We'll get to it. I was about halfway through, and I was like, I don't... Maybe I'm not... Okay, well, because I really wanted it. I thought this movie was a love story between Peter and Ripley. That's how I viewed it. <laughs> ah. Oh, my gosh. Well, and also, let's talk about the relationship with Dickie and Tom, because it did seem incredibly... Uh, what's... How, what is, okay, so, like, suggestive. Like, it does seem that there were moments where Dickie was really into Tom, was, sexually. I yeah, mean, it was at least subconsciously yeah. sexually into Uh-huh. Do you think Tom. it's... Do you think he just likes attention? Like he's he's into the person that's most and gives him the most attention at that point in time. I think he likes a new and shiny thing because yeah. when Gwyneth was yes. saying, "Oh, sorry, Marge, sorry, <laughs> Gwyneth, sorry, <laughs> whatever." I don't see names. I just see <laughs> the actors. Uh, was like something that the, when the sun shines on you, it's great, mm-hmm. and when it's not, it's you're cold and alone. Which I think we've all known those people. Maybe yeah. maybe they're sociopaths, yeah. but. Oh, I, we all know what it feels like to be in that person's son, to use Gwyneth slash Marge's uh, term. And yeah. I think that he was just kind of um, in love with this new mm-hmm. this new thing who, I think like you just said, was enamored with him. Yeah, yeah. and I think Dickie's obviously very self-centered and was mm-hmm. in love with himself, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. When and your name is Gricky, Dickie, you're going to have to be. <laughs> like, they could not have found a better... Like, how do we want... So the audience knows that he is a douche. Mm. Less than even Dickie. Perfect. Well, his real name is probably Richard, and they just probably called him Dickie. It is a great character because mm-hmm. he's this guy, like the life of the party, but he's kind of a fraud in like every... like He plays the saxophone poorly. He like he does. He's involved in all this. Like I think I should pick up the piano or the drums. Mm-hmm. See, like he's, he's, he's in a new shiny he's thing. He's a womanizer. Well, that's what yeah. I was going to say. Dickie's always chasing the next best thing. Yeah. He's one of those people, and I know people like that in my professional life that are, that are fun people to be around. You enjoy their company, but at the end of the day, you know that there's, they're always chasing that next best thing. They're never going to be content. And there's a sadness there because they're, they're missing out on so much because they're always so consumed with being the star of the show or chasing after that thing that they think is going to get them there or that feeling. You know, it's like Dickie being a womanizer 
and um, kind of philandering around Italy and all that. You know, it's it's he he is very charismatic, and I think that's the way that he was wanted to be portrayed. But but if you really look deep inside, there's a loneliness there, just like Tom. Mm-hmm. And the one thing to mention too is these people are wealthy enough to have these issues too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, only wealthy people could really have those those kind of issues mm-hmm. because they don't have to worry about money. They don't have to worry about starving or mm-hmm. or fighting. This is a very privileged group of people, uh, except for Matt Damon's character, who I don't believe comes from privilege. No, I, he was I, no, he was working what three? He was a bathroom attendant who wanted yeah. to be a musician. He was living in that mm-hmm. basement apartment that he will come will that will show himself in a different way later. It's almost a commentary on capitalism about how you move up and start to man- find how how to manipulate the system to get up to that level mm-hmm. too. In a way, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, class envy comes into play a lot in this movie, especially with. Well, I think. Well, do we go in order with this, or just kind of whenever we have just, to yeah, just go yeah. random? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gwyneth was no, not Gwyneth. Kate. What was Kate Blanchett's name? Uh, uh, Meredith. Meredith yeah. was yeah. talking about like, oh, we. Uh, that's my amazing Kate impression, <laughs> by the way. I am, I am on level with Matt Damon. Where she was saying how we have money, but we hate that we have money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like that was my. Just that, that they are complaining about their privilege. Yeah. And that it's almost a burden. It's like, well, really? Yeah. Is that how? Is that what we're doing now? That's mm-hmm. that's your that's your issue in life is that you have money and hate it. <laughs> but it really just kind of goes into the excess that these people are living in and how badly um, Tom <laughs> wants in. And kind of how dangerous that can be. Well, and how reckless that lifestyle is, obviously. You know, look at how reckless Dickie was. That poor Italian woman, he got pregnant. and mm. They never really... I, I, I know there was... She said, I, I, I want to talk to you, and I don't think he ever did. And so she ended up committing suicide. Yeah, I mean, I, and that seems to be the commentary here is pretty much every character is almost apathetic. Well, not mm-hmm. the women come off fairly well to me in this movie. Yeah. You know, they seem like decent people mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah, Meredith and Marge. Uh, yeah. yeah, but all the guys are basically self-absorbed, conceited, yep. almost uh, insincere. Who was the brunette guy? Peter. Peter. Peter was a good yeah, guy. Yeah, Peter was yeah, a good guy. Uh, yeah, he's the exception yeah. to the role. Mm-hmm. But Dickie certainly not, and <laughs> Freddie certainly yeah. not. I mean, those are the two guys that get killed. But at the same time, I don't know how the audience feels about their deaths. I mean, we, death is terrible no matter what. But there's also like I feel the audience. I felt irritated by both of those guys as characters because mm-hmm. Freddie Freddie was bullying mm-hmm. Ripley. He was basically bullying Ripley. Yeah. He kind of saw through him, but he he, he yeah. was felt threatened by him because yeah. he wanted him some dicky time to. <laughs> Whatever they were doing in that, think, that, that ocean, right. they were fighting. I think or he was a bully, and I think he, he obviously caught on after a while, like what was going on. And same thing, kind of like with Dickie. Like, when, like the, the, their last venture to, I can't remember, was it Nepal or wherever they went that night? And, Not Nepal. Uh, <laughs> 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 they didn't go to Nepal. Well, where, would, where did they go? That would have been a much different <laughs> movie, I'm thinking. They would have climbed a mountain. Are you talking, uh, like, uh, Italian city? Yeah. Um,. Naples, you're thinking. Naples, yeah, Naples. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Naples. They went to Naples, and um, so anyway, Dickie starts asking him, "You didn't really go to Princeton, oh, Marge and I had a bet." And it starts coming out that Dickie can see is seeing like right through the Tom's, you know, fraud, mm-hmm. and um, and then I have to say, I mean, in the scene where where Dickie meets his fate, I felt like I I, I honestly kind of sympathize more with Dickie in that moment, not just because he died, but is like he got an oar in the face. No, well, not just because <laughs> that, but like. I could. Th- Tom was a leech, and Tom was getting really needy and annoying, and like he wasn't listening. Like Dickie was like, "Hey, this was fun. 
we had a great time, but you know, I'm going to move forward. Marge and I are going to move north, and we're going to get married. And he, Dickie, was like trying to kind of like say, "Hey, this was fun while it lasted, but no hard feelings or anything like that." But we're moving on, basically. Mm-hmm. And Tom just w- would not accept that, and um, and then was getting very possessive. And so I kind of sympathized a lot with Dickie in that moment. You know, like I've I've had boyfriends and and even friends where it's like you try to say, "Hey, this isn't working anymore for whatever reason," or "I'm going to move on." and Girls can get really jealous and stuff. You know, when a girl gets a boyfriend and I start hanging out with my boyfriend and the best friend gets real jealous or whatever, like it's that weird dynamic. And um, I can sympathize with Dickie trying to gently tell someone, hey, I'm moving on now. Yeah. And that person's just not respecting it and getting it. Um, And so, I I mean, I, I don't think that Dickie is by any means, you know, a saint, but I do think it was kind of sad you know that he died and and i definitely was understanding him more at that point well i also think like ripley was not the most ethical person to begin with either like he's 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 basically has manipulated a bunch of people to get where Mm -hmm. he is at that point so it's not as if dickie isn't without warren for thinking that sure i mean i think they're both flawed people the only difference is one is a murderer one is not one goes over probably mental illness plays Mm -hmm. into that but uh you know, which is the whole point. It really is a movie about identity, ultimately, Absolutely. and how people craft their images. Mm-hmm. You know, we we put up so much effort into crafting an image that we, or at least how we, we want to be per- perceived. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like mental illness, like have you ever had a friend? I've had this where I've had you've had a friend that like wanted to be you. No, no, I'll be honest. I've never had a friend. I want what you got. They right. would try to like wear the same clothes and talk like you, and like it's, it's a really strange. No, this thing. sounds awesome. Yeah, this, well, yeah. this, this sounds like a fantastic friend, actually. <laughs> but but well, no, like, like you're too loud. Stop. And talking. I guess maybe yeah. that's why I feel like I sympathize a little bit with Dickie in this movie because I can understand that. Like I've had girlfriends where it's like. Where you stop and think, are you trying to compete with me? Do you really like, like, want to be my friend, or do you just like want to be me? You know, like it was just weird. Um, it's almost the height of narcissism if you want somebody to be exactly like you, because it's like I'm the most interesting person. No, in the no, room, that's so not that's not what I mean. I mean, uh, this person is a, this person is, admires you so much that they get close to you to be your friend, but then in the end, it's like you find that they start acting like you and dressing like you and wanting to be everywhere you are, and and it's like they want to be you. You realize, mm-hmm. like, just like 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 Tom wanted to be Dicky, trying on his rings and everything. Like, mm-hmm. it's that weirdness. Like I've had that happen before where you know a girlfriend it was like are we you know you're obsessed with me you know it's it's just it's it's what it gets down to and it's scary um and so i could definitely see from dickie's side of the the coin where he was just like look you know this yeah is too far i would say though this movie is on a higher level than movies of that theme. Because there have been a lot of movies where they have stalkers who want to become sure. the other character. But they become cartoony where yeah. they start looking exactly like the person, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't make logical sense. For this movie, it's more subtle. Mm-hmm. You know, that he is adapting different mannerisms and clothing, but he's yeah. not... Well, he's he not does like, go full bore. He does assume his identity. When but he he's dead at that point, yeah. so it makes sense. But in other movies, you have like the characters sit, standing next to each other side by side. If one has glasses, the other has glasses, same yeah. suit, and it's mm-hmm. just like, okay, you know. That's what I mean. It's that weird, and, and it's just that weird thing, so. But did he go there to, was his intention to become Dickie Greenleaf? Cause I, because the whole thing was, I mean, 
the other character in this movie is circumstance. And yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. uh, like, oh, there's a pri- you're wearing a Princeton jacket? Here's $1,000 to go over and get my son in Europe. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I've never once had an OU t-shirt on. And people were like, hey, you went to OU. Can you go get my daughter who's in... Like, what are you talking... <laughs> yeah, so, that doesn't make any sense. The movies... <laughs> Steven, you said your name was? And yeah. you're... All right. The movies always assume if you went to an Ivy League school that there's some weird linkage that, like, you, you could go over and... But and they, they have a private friends. eye. Send him. Yeah. Like, why are you, you know, sending a stranger over to get your son because they went to the same school? It's bizarre. But it, then he lands and he's like, after you see the whole... Mm-hmm. How shitty his life is, being a bathroom attendant... Um, and like being yelled at by the jan- janitor to get off the piano that what's at that time appears to be his dream. Within two seconds of meeting Kate Blanchett, he mm-hmm. says, "I'm Dickie Green." That's what I mean. So I I don't think that was his intention, but I think when the opportunity again, the circumstance presented itself, that's when he I think fell in love with the idea of having that life and wanting to be Dickie Greenleaf. I don't know if his true intent was ever to kill Dickie. I truly think that that was circumstantial. But I the, think the heat of the moment. I don't think he ever wanted to kill Dickie. He wanted to be with Dickie, mm-hmm. and and slash be Dickie. You know, mm-hmm. like he wanted that. Um, he was obvious that he fell in love with him. He had a fatal attraction style crush on mm-hmm. Dickie, and when it didn't wasn't re- you know reciprocated, that's when he acted in anger. But mm-hmm. I don't, like I agree. I don't think his intent was ever to be Dickie. Mm-hmm. I think he's a survivor, and I think that's his survivor instinct is to adapt someone else's identity Absolutely. in order to keep himself yeah. afloat. Yeah. It's the same thing like with, you know, like with that example I said, the girl, you know, the friend, like, maybe didn't have many other friends. Nobody would talk to her. I befriended her, and then it was, oh, Tony's a great person, and I like her. And, and then it's like they, they slowly start to want to be just like you, and that, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's like borderline personality problem. He's completely isolated. I mean, there's mm-hmm. he, and he needs to be told mm-hmm. by other people like what is good about him. Yeah. And I think he he probably doesn't even know that he's falling in love with Dickie. Like I would guess that what is it 1959? I think, I think in the late 50s. 50s yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That he is he is, that his um, homosexuality is so repressed mm-hmm. that he probably is not even aware what's happening. So that he doesn't even know that he is in love with Dickie or does he want to be. I think he knew he was in love with Dickie. I think the bathroom... The well, tub he was scene, in love with Dickie. The like, tub scene, I think, was an indicator. He, Tom was throwing, the, was throwing a pass at Dickie and seeing how he responded. And then when Dickie said, turn him down, then he quickly was like, oh, I didn't mean with you. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. He was trying to wait to see if Dickie was going to... Because Dickie just looked at him, remember? And you're, as an audience member, you're thinking, is this, like, this going to go down? You oh, know? I, <laughs> I do recall and that. Then, yes, <laughs> right, exactly. So you're like, what's going to... It was very intense. And then Dickie kind of splashes the water and get, you know, gets out and says, here, you can get in now. So um, Dickie, I think, was very much aware. And then when he saw Tom looking at him in the mirror, and then he looked over, remember, he didn't say anything, but he just like flung the towel kind of playfully. Yeah. Um, but I don't think... I don't, th- Tom, I don't think Tom is a full enough person to fully realize that he is a homosexual. Maybe like, I not. Think he's, but I, I think he's experiencing those emotions. Probably doesn't even know what they are and what they mean, because, like, when he's watching Dickie and I'm going to call her Gwyneth. I can't remember her name. It's <laughs> just going to happen, guys. That's fine. Yeah. Would, uh, have sex and he's peeping on them. Yeah. He's like, more interested. He's jealous he's, yeah, that Dickie's with Marge. That's what it was. He, I don't think he cared to see Marge naked or, or even really to see Dickie naked. I think he just was jealous that he wasn't intimate with Dickie. I think there's, I think there's a t- such a confusion of his identity that he doesn't even know 
what he's feeling ever. Like I, he did not go on the boat to murder Dickie. No, I, I agree. I, that's what I said. I don't think he ever intended to kill Dickie, but I think he wanted to be with Dickie slash be like him, have that life with him. You know, I mean, think about when we first met Freddie, how jealous Tom was. Remember that record scene where he keeps <laughs> knocking on the door and the, the two guys are like, what the fuck? Like, leave already. You know, like we said our goodbyes. He's very jealous. He he wants like Dickie all to himself. <laughs> Yeah, he. I think jealousy does play mm-hmm. a huge part. Everybody's competing for Dickie's attention yeah. in the beginning. The first half of the movie is really dedicated to three characters. There's something about Dickie. Isn't That's it? really what it is. There's something about Dickie. And Freddie, yeah, because Freddie. Uh, you know, well, Jude Jude Law is great in this movie. I mean, he's. Remember when he was supposed to be a huge movie star? Yeah, like that, he was. This was. I think this. The, the reason I remember this movie is because people were talking about there's this new actor. Jude Law, it's like watch out for him. And he steals the movie. He steals yeah. the movie. I yeah, yeah, and he do, he does. He, I think he's definitely stand out in the movie. Um, yeah, it's interesting because he's basically it's just a it, it is a dynamic character that he's playing, which just makes sense why everybody's attracted to him in the beginning. Yeah. But uh, I think what happened with Jude Law after this is became more of a character actor. He was taking character oriented roles like AI and Road to Perdition that were. That kind of downplayed his looks, you know, and 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 were more in tune with the character, and, and it just never took off where he became a marquee name, which I think is a better route for any actor to go. Is where where you become. He, a, he's still, I think he's still, he's not the biggest movie. So he's still a pretty big name, though. Jude Law does have, um, I mean, when he played Dumbledore, everybody was like, oh, you know, everybody got pretty excited. So I mean, he's he's the known name, but he's definitely not. Leo DiCaprio or Matt Damon even. No, I don't think he's... Now, talent-wise, I think he's surpassed both of those guys exponentially, but from a movie star perspective, you know, in Mm -hmm. terms of box office, no, he's not nearly as big a star. And a lot of it's because Julan never took a lot of commercially-oriented roles during that time. Mm -hmm. That would have put him over. I I think maybe people also may have pegged him to be like a Daniel Day-Lewis-styled actor, which he became more of that, I think, than he became... A major star. Mm-hmm. Who Jude Law? Jude yeah. Law, yeah. Uh, well, like he, he, yeah. I think he, he, um, he's just gorgeous. First of all, I mean, and I think his the blue eyes, just the, the unique style about him, the way that he looks. I think he also kind of got sucked into um, always playing sort of the pretty boy love. And love. some personal stuff happened. Some yeah, stuff in his personal yeah. life yeah. that derailed his. Uh, oh right, I think so yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Too- what, didn't he have like a bad marriage or something? Like? Um, I believe that he wasn't super faithful to Sienna Miller. <laughs> and I believe there may be a child with a nanny. Maybe. Don't quote me on that. You. Know- there's a maniacal edge to him, though, even though he, he's considered a matinee idol looks, but there's in his eyes, there's something manic about Jude oh, yeah. Law, like under under all of it. Like he's there's some sort of crazed look, which is why he's great for playing villains. Yeah. But he's also great at playing like the romantic love attraction, too. So that's he's very versatile in that way. Like I think about him in The Holiday. He was the sweet, loving dad. Remember, really gorgeous. I actually, uh, <laughs> I actually saw. Is that the movie where he meets? Uh, who's a? Uh, is it? Is it? Uh, it's Cameron Diaz. Cameron yeah. Diaz. Yeah. Yeah. In any movie that's gonna put Kate Winslet with Jack Black, I am not <laughs> interested. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree. She is a stunning woman, <laughs> and that is what she ends up with. Jack Black, not here for you. I think it's Nancy Myers. Yeah, Welcome to Hollywood. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I always thought Kate that was Winslet. a really odd combination, too. <laughs> Kate Winslet gets Jack Black, and uh, yeah. Cameron Diaz, Diaz gets too long. Too long. 
Go write, go write the body book, Cameron Diaz. I hope you're listening. <laughs> that is a shorter. Now, I like. I actually like Jack Black. I, but I'm not one choosing romantic. You know. I'm just saying that. <laughs> hey, I think he's a. He seems like a great actor. He seems like a nice guy. I'm just saying. Kate yeah. Willett, yeah. A stunning <laughs> woman. Right. <laughs> yes. I don't, that's a weird pairing, Kate Winslet and Jack Black. It's just. Well, on the topic of of Kate Blanchett, I want to maybe transition over to. I'm sorry, to Kate Blanchett, <laughs> uh, as opposed to Kate Winslet. Winslet yeah, Kate Blanchett, I, I think is this is at the at the beginning of her run. Well, she just lost the Oscar to Gwyneth, right? Yeah. So how pissed would you be on that set? Because um, they they well, added. Remember, this movie was probably filmed throughout like late '97, '98. Wasn't actually came out in mm-hmm. ninety nine. I choose to believe that it, that there was some animosity on set. I don't really. Was but it uh, Shakespeare in Love? She won for she, or, yeah, yeah. Gwyneth. She won for that. Gwyneth she won did. for Shakespeare, and she beat Kate for Elizabeth. 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 Come on, people. And, and can we also talk about Gwyneth? Okay, how uncool this was. My girl, Winona Ryder, was supposed to play in Shakespeare in Love. She actually, she was so excited about it. Uh, was and then shared the script with Gwyneth. Felt like to say, that I think this is going to be like my role. This could be the Oscar-winning one. Yada yada. Gwyneth, who was like her best friend at the time, turns around behind her back and auditions for it and gets the part. That's why Winona and her are not friends anymore. Can you blame Winona? Well, I didn't know they were friends to begin with. So they this were. Is all oh news yeah. To me. Look well, on the internet. There's uh, nothing uh, but tons of well, photos of Matt them. Because Matt Damon and Winona Ryder dated, and then mm-hmm. Gwyneth and. Uh, um, ben Affleck dated. Mm-hmm. So what a but what a fun Hollywood foursome. I know. <laughs> anyway, back to Kate Blanchett in this no. movie, who by the way is amazing, and I think they added scenes for her because she was so damn good. I think she, I wish she was in it more than she, she wanted is. to play. Yeah. She wanted to play this part from what mm-hmm. I she asked for, and when um, is it? Ming- how do you say it? Is it Mangella? It's Mangella. Yeah, Ming- yeah. Uh, put more. Put her when he's like, oh, you want to? Okay, we're going to add you in more of this, which is I think why the middle kind of slags a little bit, but. I'll take more Kate Blanchett whenever I can I, get it. I, yeah, I, I I just get a sense that Kate Blanchett, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Jude Law is like, oh, this is a fifties period piece, and they really got into that. Like they yeah. really yeah. wanted to do they that. They really looked the part. They really <laughs> they really played up that part. Well, Gwyneth Paltrow in this movie just seems like she's just playing herself. She doesn't give it I any said the other. Same thing that she just looks like yeah. she's Gwyneth Paltrow. Like she, I guess I'll get some. She, sun. Yeah, she's just getting going through the. Mo- Sometimes she has like a a, a lilt of that kind of. That kind of accent people had in the fifties of affluence. Yeah, that comes her, that comes and goes. But yeah, her character was so passive and kind of. <clears throat> I think she did maybe the. <coughs> it was kind of underwritten and just she had, all she did was give dubious looks yeah. and then cry. Mm-hmm. This is also a Miramax production, and I'm sure Weinstein had something to do with the casting of, of Damon oh, well. and and uh, Paltrow because they were like the big marquee names of that studio at the time. Where the other three are probably director's choices. Like, oh, these are great actors. They fit the period really well. I'm not denying that Matt Damon has a really good performance here, but Paltrow, like you said, she just she's kind of there. But I think that's a studio mandated, probably casting choice. I don't know. Well, for fact, I also think the character of Marge was just kind of like written to be just sort of a passive. Mm-hmm. She's there because they needed the fiance. You know, he had a fiance, but it was obviously very clear that in the 50s in general, and even in this movie, men were very caught up with being men. The women were just there for... Think about the times we saw Gwyneth Paltrow. What were they doing? Either sleeping together or eating. She was preparing a meal, or they were like sleeping together. Or she was sunning herself. Make, or she, like at the end, she was... There were like two or three scenes where she would just start... She would freak out 
and then start crying and mm-hmm. need someone to save her. It's like just give her one scene. Yeah. Where she's like, I know it was you, mm-hmm. and let her have a let her they have some power. They did a little bit at the end, but, but she it was, was still like she was ushered off. By, by the way, the I'm making an amazing yeah. cry face for the for the listener at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, but <laughs> but that was the time in the late '50s. The men kind of ruled the world, and women were viewed as emotional and this, this, and that, and. And uh, so I think it was part to do with they were trying to stay true maybe to the time. And also just the character of Marge wasn't really that interesting. I mean, think about it. If you've got this dynamic guy like Dickie, if you had a woman like that, you'd, you'd be, you would both be competing. I will yeah. say, though, like, though, if you look at Blanchett's performance versus Paltrow's, Blanchett brings a lot more to the table Absolutely. with a similar role than Paltrow. It's just character. It's just like movement. And mm-hmm. basic uh, acting I, choices yeah, she makes. Yeah, she but Blanchett's character was also supposed to be like a fluffy socialite. Yeah, yeah that's true. Was, There's more to play with. She was more outgoing. And, I think she yeah. was a little better written, but I think be, I would switch him because Kate Blanchett would probably get a little bit more out of the lesser written role than Paltrow did. And then Paltrow could... <laughs> the better written role, she could just play a bass and it'd be better. I don't know. I, I will say like Paltrow plays sincere concern well. Yes. Like I don't doubt that she feels sincerely sorry, you know, awful about things that are happening. Like she plays that in a way that's believable. I don't I don't feel like there's a lot of false notes in her performance where it takes no. me out of the movie. No, she's she's authentic. She's, she's it, fine. I, she's it, it just, yeah, she's it just, fine. It just stands out because there's people that are like, well, there's you know, you got Jude Law doing, you know, getting going for it, and, and her character does not have character moments that no. are going to get you no. Oscar attention at all. Or well, and do you know this? This movie actually is based on a book called *The Talented Mr. Ripley*. It's like four mm-hmm. or five books, aren't they? Yeah. Well, and then also there was a version of the story told in 1960 called *Purple Moon*. It was a, it was a, um, I think an Italian film. Um, and then there was a couple other movies sort of made with the same premise of this, but I just think that that's interesting. You know that it was originally a book. Which I think makes sense. I, I think it would probably have been a really interesting book to read mm-hmm. more so than put on film. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot hey, of this you is... You picked this movie. Let's not... I know. <laughs> no, no, no. I love it. I'm just saying I, I'd be really interested to read the novel because it would probably be like a real page turner. Yeah. I mean, it was a really interesting movie, and I think the storyline's awesome, which is what one of the things I love so much about the movie, despite the actors and the fact yeah. that it's probably 30 minutes too long. I think it's a really <laughs> neat story. It's yeah. well-written. Um, yeah, there, there's some, like, film things that, like, oh, it's a movie, it's good, but there's also, like, oh, if they did this and they did this, oh, it would be, you know... Yeah, there are some holes in this one that, like, his his yeah. plan would have easily unra- like unraveled with like maybe looking at a passport photo or the fact that like yeah, everyone in, in America knows about um, that you're missing or what like there would be a picture with an on the newspaper like with a newspaper that would not be Matt Damon's face that Kate Blanchett would <laughs> exactly. see exactly like it's the scheme's not great. That's why I wonder: is it all a dream or is it's, it all a thought? No, up? I think, like think there's just, just plot holes in the script. Plot holes. <laughs> 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 Well, they could cut, uh, like Tony said, they could cut some time, too. I think they could cut 20 minutes of, uh, like, boat lounging. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of boat lounging yeah, in this movie. Yeah, because that wasn't really necessary. <laughs> yeah. right. I, I've never seen so much people just laying around on boats. It makes you jealous, though, because it, it, he films it. Italy's so beautiful. Oh, yeah. The movie oh. is gorgeous. I know. It is a great-looking film. And can we film. talk about the clothing? I love the costumes and yeah. the design. Everything about it is so just stylish. The production value on this movie is extraordinary, and the cinematography also, because it makes Italy look gorgeous. Like mm-hmm. I don't even think the actual Italy, and I've been there, looks quite as beautiful as this movie makes Italy look. So, Well, 1950s. 
I mean, it's it, it's a love letter to Italy, I think, entire because they they go to basically every major city: Rome, Venice, Naples. What was that one that they're in Magenta? That's or? a made-up city, I yeah. believe. <laughs> okay, it's the made-up city that they made up for this film. <laughs> um, and then Nepal. Nepal, yeah, 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 Nepal, yeah, Nepal. The edge of the, the actually, the guys, they went to San Remo. San Remo, okay, yeah. But no, this movie really is great, and 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 I love, yeah, the costumes, just the stylishness of it, and um, it really is truly kind of magical, you know. And I think back to when I first saw it; those were probably some of the elements that really caught my eye about it. Mm-hmm. I always, I've always been a sucker for a good period piece. Yeah. Well, I could see the influence of a movie like To Catch a Thief from the Mediterranean standpoint uh-huh. on this and how you film the Mediterranean, you know, Absolutely. so exquisitely. You know, and even there's the Edith Head vibe from the wardrobe, mm-hmm. I'd say, and in, in, in the costume design. Yeah. Yeah, everything's kind of spot on, which is awesome. I love every all the outfits that, that Dickie wears. I love ev- everything that Marge wears, that Meredith. You know, I think it's interesting that Meredith is always in the color blue. Hmm. If you watch that's true. I, I just realized that. That's, that's She's really always cool. in the color blue, and blue is a, is a color that signifies, like, trust and calmness. And it makes you wonder, is she, like, one of the only trustworthy people, you know? Because mm. she, she's genuine. Yeah, she is. You know, she is who she is, just like Peter was. R.I.P. I know. So we have to talk about Peter. Speaking yeah. of clothes, so when he is wearing Dickie's clothes. In what part? When Dickie catches him, like, he's dancing around, having a gay old time. Yes. <laughs> and I'm allowed to say that. Um, <laughs> you can cut that out. I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, you can, cut, you, can cut, you can cut that out. <laughs> okay. We'll have a gay old no, time. You can say, no, no. I mean, he's, he's in every, he's, yeah. Just having the time of his life until he's caught. So what is that? That, I think, is a combination of Tom exploring his sexuality, because it's evident that he's gay. He, as evident to us as an audience, I don't think he knows. I That's don't think I mean. there is enough of Tom. I think he's exploring that, but it's obvious to us that he's gay. You like, know? Mm-hmm. The reason that he is such a great mimic, in theory, because we're told, not because he actually is, <laughs> is that he just takes on other people's... There's nothing... There's no Tom. Mm-hmm. He does not know why he's good or bad. Exactly. He just there's just darkness that we find in that scene where he's like, "Don't you ever wish that there was a like you could lock, lock or lock all the bad stuff up in a basement?" And I was like, "Kind of." Like <laughs> that's, yeah, kind that's of. When this movie came, you like, know what I think is int- home. You know I, what I think is interesting too. When he very first meets Dickie, when they first go to when he goes to Marge and Dickie's flat. And he's honest, and he flat out says, um, "Oh gosh, what does he say?" He says, "Oh, I'm basically I'm a fraud," and I, I he totally fesses up. I'm gonna see like as we continue to talk, I'm gonna see if I can find the dialogue for it. But I always thought that that was kind of interesting because he that's like the one moment where he really truly is being honest. Okay, but like, so this dude lies to you, about and then Jude Law just laughed about it. Yeah, because you he thought caught he was him joking. lying about everything. Don't get on a boat with him. I know, <laughs> in the remote nowhere. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> Clearly, this guy is insane. Don't get on a boat. They love boats in this movie. They I love mean. boats. I mean, <laughs> you know, Gwyneth was like, "I think you're gonna need this," and would just be on a. I think their love of boats overshadows <laughs> everything else in their lives. So if they're, they're offered a boat, it's like I can't resist it. If Hitler was with them, they'd go on the boat. You know. He murders two people on boats. He does. Yeah, and I'll say that 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 Dicky death scene is really intense. And oh, kinda, yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's very intense. Like the blood squirting out from the side of his face, and he's just strangling him. Yeah, it's like a horror film. 
at that point. Yeah, <laughs> it's very. Uh, um, yeah, that's it's it, that is very intense. I was like, wow. It's like, I actually had to rewind it because I I just kind of looked away for a second, and I looked at the screen and Dickie's face was bleeding. Like, how did that happen? And he got hit with an oar, which is. A fun way to kill someone in a movie. And then stabbed a bunch with the other side, right? Yeah, yeah. He. Uh, and then Matt cradled his dead body so gently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another death by Greek statue, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Freddie gets the side of it. The hair killed you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's an interesting uh, death. Yeah, at first I thought, oh, is that like, is that brain matter? But it's just the hair with the, the blood coated on it. So mm-hmm. it was less disgusting than you guys love Philip Seymour Hoffman, from what I right? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, do, we yeah. do. Okay, so did anyone else think he was maybe giving it a little too much when he Rick rolls in, like, with the accent? I'm just like, <laughs> oh, I, I I'm think just like Phil. <laughs> like, I, I think not he to was... speak ill of the dead, right? But I'm just like Phil. Dude, it's like it was like he was a Catherine Hepburn Hep- yeah, yeah. character. Yeah, it was it was it was it was slightly over the top. I would say <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman's an actor. He gives you a little bit more than necessary. That's kind yeah. of the appeal a little bit. Like there's mannerisms with him. He's he's yeah. Uh, I can tell. Like he loves that smirk. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman loves smirking in films to like let the audience know he's about to attack somebody verbally, you know, or he's hiding something. Like yeah. in the Big Lebowski, he's always hiding something. Like, oh, dude, uh, please come over there. You know, like that's kind of his acting style. Is Who's he in the Big Lebowski? Yeah, he's in the Big Lebowski. Who is he's he? he's Le- the 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 wealthy Lebowski's assistant with the glasses. Oh yeah 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 yeah. 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 yeah sorry everybody for derailing, derailing that, but I couldn't remember him, and I needed to know right then. <laughs> no, but he he kind of in Boogie Nights the smirk too. Although that's kind of a, a kind of disturbed character there. It's probably the most disturbed character he ever played. Yeah, but he does. I, I agree, Andrew. He does give it a little bit. He gives it a one notch above, like naturalistic. Yeah, he's he's, yeah. he's he's not operating as a naturalistic. He's he's, he's so he, but I, he's having fun with it, and I guess that's what makes it fun. <laughs> Why yeah. you stay with like children who are bad at sports? He's out there having fun, guys. <laughs> yeah, he's having fun. Just let him do it. When they would suck on American Idol, you look like you were having fun. Okay, great. For as little as Gwyneth Paltrow is giving, he gives. He's he's making up for it. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Well, Blanche does similar things with her character too. She, she, t- she takes it well, up. Law is, is, yeah. is takes it to eleven. Every, it, there's like three people taking it to eleven in this movie, which is I, I enjoy that. I personally, but I could see. Yeah, that's not the most naturalistic approach. But no, there's no less is more with those performances. Though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what I. That's what I like. Uh, but Damon and Paltrow are, are far more subtle. Yeah, you know, so, and he has to downplay it through most of it. That's probably why they elevated their performances because he's so quiet. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, he's a blank slate. He there is. is not, like, yeah. That is. I think that's why. It, I think um, there could be criticism that his performance was kind of dead, and I don't agree with that because I don't think there is any Tom. There's anything to Tom Ripley because he does not know who he is, and mm-hmm. so he's just trying to. Take on these other personas because there's nothing to Tom. Well, we talked about how Christian Bale earlier was offered this role, and I, I think there are parallels between this movie and American Psycho, which came out a few months after this movie. It was like one of the first big movies mm-hmm. of the 2000s. Yeah. Because um, this is right at the cusp of the millennium between. This came out on. Uh Christmas Day, 1999. Yeah. Oh. So they were probably filmed simultaneously. Mm-hmm. 
And you could say that there are parallels between Ripley and Patrick Bateman. I think Absolutely. Ripley's a much more subtle performance than well, Patrick Bateman. Bateman was obsessed with himself and nobody else. He didn't want to be anybody else. He just wanted to be the best version of his self, the best version that he thought. You know, mm. but, but Tom wants to be Dickie. And I think th- th- maybe this is a great comparison between the two characters and why I'm probably drawn to Bateman. And it might be just a personal taste, but I think Bateman is a charismatic, funny mm-hmm. Uh, almost, almost kind of revels in his own evil. Almost like he totally. kind of embraces it. Where Ripley's not comfortable with his dark side at all, and that's less fun to play probably than when you fully embrace your dark side. Like yeah, does. well, Patrick Bateman is also a little bit larger than life too. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah, and, and he gets to review music, which is great. Although they're both music aficionados. Yeah, yeah, he listens Because he jazz. has to learn how to become mm-hmm. a jazz aficionado in this film, which you I know, love the, the music. Well, the thing I think is interesting, too, is that, like, you know, the parallel with Patrick Bateman is that Patrick Bateman is such a serious person, but he doesn't take himself too seriously. Tom it takes himself so seriously, you know? Yeah, he does. Like, Patrick can get goofy and, you know, with the whole scene when he kills Paul Allen, I mean, he... he uh, <laughs> He's not afraid to, like, um, I don't want to say laugh at himself. Not at all, no. You know, whereas, whereas um, Tom Ripley is just so dead serious. Well, I he mean, has he, nothing in his life. That's what I he's mean. He's just sad, He doesn't sad. know who he is. I think he's so identityless. It's not even funny. Like, Patrick Bateman at least has a good idea of who he thinks he is and who he wants to be. Well, I think the other thing is Tom is completely fearful of social faux pas. Mm-hmm. Where Bateman's character is embraces faux pas and turns them, makes them into non, you know, faux pas. You know, he knows how to kind of skirt skirt around because it was charisma mm-hmm. over mistakes he might be making. Where he's definitely afraid Tom of making any mistakes socially. Well, because Patrick Bateman is the difference is you know Patrick Bateman is so busy living in his own world. Tom is so busy trying to live in someone else's. Well, Tom was so desperate to be loved uh, that he yeah. was willing to take the blame for a pregnant woman yeah. drowning herself. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I got this. Like, Tom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, need to, we need to have a conversation. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I remember that. He's like, I'm prepared to take He's the blame. He's like, like, no question. I got this. Like, he didn't even ask you to do that. Like, why are we? Like, don't offer it. And then wanted to put, like, again, he wanted to, don't you just want to take the past and put it in a room and never go back in? Doesn't he say that to Peter? <laughs> he does say end? it to Peter. He wants to put like, a lot of stuff in What was heartbreaking is when Peter says all those nice things, you know, when Peter is spot on about Tom. He's like, you know, Tom is tender and talented talented, and, and Tom is a mystery and Tom has a lot of secrets. Just like the share. opening credits. Before it says talented Mr. Ripley, it goes, it cycles through, you know, at the beginning of the movie where it's a variety like of different A variety adjectives. of adjectives before it lands on talented. Oh, neato. Yeah, it says like, I think it goes through what he talks about. Mm-hmm. But this uh, is the point of the movie where I think I think it took a turn, at least f- for me, from like drama where he's a murderer to I want these two guys to make it work. Yeah, I was like, I want Tom to get you away. You did, I did too. I, I just yeah. wanted that's, Tom to. That's find the that very happening. end of the movie too. Yeah. There's literally like two seconds after. <laughs> no, when he was like, when he was, uh, was um, it? Is that? It's not when they're laying in the bed at the no, end. No, it's when he um he's playing a piano. Oh, okay. Right. Or, is that the very last scene? No, it's like before. Um, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of what that is going to be as well. Um, I know he doesn't. He ask when he's laying on his back, isn't he? Isn't he asking? No, that part is at the end. But okay. the part where he's talking about like where he wants 
where he's alone and he wants to put things in a room and then erase himself. Oh. That's where he and he and Peter just met at that opera. Okay. Yeah. And then they were hanging out after. And I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, I think these Everybody's guys. at that opera. I, no, Siri, again, circumstance is the other star <laughs> of yeah. this movie. Yes. And the same thing with the end. Like, she's just on the boat. Like, there's not yeah. two boats going to Greece. <laughs> yeah, seriously. How do you guys feel like uh, um, that relationship with, with, with Tom and Peter is, is handled in this movie? Do you think it's, it's a good nuanced relationship, or do you think it's kind of typical of the era where they're, they become stock characters almost? How things, you know, homosexuality was not always portrayed in the best light in the '90s. You know, mm-hmm. um, maybe we could save this for Basic Instinct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably a better. Uh... But I thought, like, I remember being surprised at, like, when the first time I saw this, because all the, I believe, again, that's been a while, been 20 years, and I first saw it. However, like he was, they wanted the the marketing and all the promotion was just saying how he was taking over the life of Dickie. Mm-hmm. Nowhere did it say he was falling in love with these different men. Mm-hmm. And I thought for a nineteen for nineteen ninety nine, that was I mean, there was clearly some romantic mm-hmm. gay stuff happening. And I don't think it was stock. Like I thought that Peter I thought there was enough nuance to Peter. Mm-hmm. I was a I was especially for being nineteen ninety nine, I was pleasantly surprised that how much um, kind of shades to each of them and their relationship there mm-hmm. was, especially with like less than half of a movie to go. Because again, we had to lay around with Gwyneth Paltrow for a while. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's kind <laughs> of, you know, was maybe it didn't get enough credit at the time, but it was rare in a mainstream film with, with huge A-list stars like this, especially Damon being one of the hottest actors in the world at, the, at that moment, to play someone who was was homosexual and, you know, had nuance to it, too. So I think it was kind of groundbreaking that way. Now, compared to today, it probably may seem dated in some ways, like all movies are. Mm-hmm. But I think definitely for 1999, it was quietly progressive in that yeah, regard. Yeah, absolutely, to show this love story. And it's, I mean, I would call it a love story, even though I don't think that Tom, I don't know, I think there's, I think Tom is so, there's nothing to him in a way. Yeah. And he does. I don't think Tom understands his feelings, but I think he just needs to be loved. Did he like Meredith? Do you think there was something there with no. Meredith? No, I think I he was using her as 100%. a pawn. Yeah. He, yeah, he yeah. knew the game, and he was, and he she he knew that she was into him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like he could t- was perceptive enough, I think, to pick up on that, and so he was just using her as a pawn. Hence, why he set up that coffee date. Oh, that the was next brutal. Day, <laughs> yeah. And then purposefully <laughs> knowing that yeah. she would run in, and that and he he knew that she would feel uncomfortable and leave. And feel like she needed to, you know, give mm. them that space or whatever. Master um, manipulator. Uh-huh. But the one thing, going back to the sexuality that I always appreciated about this film is that it was done very tasteful. The homosexuality. I felt like it was never... They Go never, on. Like, well, <laughs> I don't think that they... I don't think they painted it in a bad light. No, they... You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't... What was would no happen sh- in the... What happens a lot, even now in pop culture, um, is that... Which is the why the trend of burying your gaze is happening, especially to uh, uh, lesbians on television, is that they kill them, and no one that's often comes off as a punishment for being homosexual. Nobody was punished for their gayness. Um, it wasn't like they weren't saying that 
the gay person's always the villain, which is also was kind of a trope that was happening in the, happening in the 90s that bisexuals are often villains because they'll just fuck anything. Yeah. None of that really came into play with this. And it, like, he was a murderer, but it had nothing to do with his sexuality. Exactly. He was trying to well, protect his image. He was trying to protect his lie that he just yeah, got his caught. lie. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't even, and he killed Dickie. I don't, think, I don't even think it's because he couldn't have him. I think no. it was because he was speaking truths. Yeah. And was... Well, I think at that point he knew he couldn't manipulate Dickie anymore. Because well, I think Dickie... He, sorry. Oh, because Dickie was aware of the game. And he knew Dick it was, was over up. at that exactly. time. Exactly. And, and exactly. He, got, he had an emotional outburst. Exactly. That's exactly why. And then he killed him. And then that mm-hmm. leads to all the other things. Because think deaths. about it. He kills everybody who, get, who gets the game. Yeah. Freddie un- Freddy caught him. Well, Freddie was like, you're living here and something ain't right. And I don't know what it is, but I know that basically you're to blame, Tom. And then what did he do? Kill him. Mm-hmm. He actually wanted and tried to kill Marge. What was he going to kill Marge? In that one. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Because he, he, uh, yeah. he had the blade in his. Uh-huh. He was oh, going to kill sees, Marge. Yeah, he cuts himself accidentally. Because she goes back to his house. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he was going to kill her. I was just, um, I had just seen his butt. He got out of the soapy tub, so mm-hmm. I needed a minute. <laughs> 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 so I, so I, I wasn't really paying attention to that scene. I had to take a minute. But that was kind of another intense scene because you thought maybe she was going to die. Mm-hmm. You mean when he got out of the tub? Uh-huh. And he was taking a bath for and no he had, reason? Like that razor blade? Yeah. Like, I've got friends over. I'm going to take a bath. Weird. <laughs> Again, thank you, Jesus, for giving me this moment. <laughs> <laughs> However. But that's what I need. Mean. No like, sense. I'm in the bath. She's over. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is happening right now? I think it was just a reflection of the bathtub scenes, personally. But when he goes and when he goes back to when he kills Dicky, sorry, I'm still there. He has professed his love to him, uh-huh. and Dicky has said all of these things yeah. that he is scared of that are in him that, he, that are in him that he's scared of are true. And I think he lashes out because he is afraid that Dicky is speaking the truth. That you're a leech. We see enough of each other. We don't want you around. Yeah. For somebody who didn't have anything yeah. and tried wanted so hard to have um, love in his life and to have people accept him, um, I think that's why he murdered. Like I think it was just a reaction to what he was saying, not that it was him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can cut any of this out. I ramble. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I, I, I completely yeah. agree with what you're saying. Yeah, I don't think that... That Tom intentionally set out to kill Dickie. I think that was the heat of the moment thing. He got very upset because he realized in that moment Dickie rejected him. Dickie was aware of the game, and Dickie wasn't going to play anymore. Mm-hmm. He was shutting Tom out and saying, "This is it. This is the end of the road, pal." And Tom wasn't going to take no for an answer. And then, and then Dickie started yelling, and one thing led to another, and then that's what led to the killing. But I don't think I think Tom plays the game because that gets him love. That's what I mean. Like yeah, I and Dickie was rejecting him and saying, yeah, we're over, like, we're done. I don't think that he was nefarious in his scheming. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. I don't think so either. I don't think he had any bad intentions going to Italy. He wanted to be a part of that scene. He wanted to be the third wheel. He, well, he or better yet, to, to be with Dickie. Well, he didn't, I mean, he didn't go there to be with Dickie. He no. went there because he wants to live that life. Exactly. He's working exactly. as a... Um, like yeah. he's a nobody. He's a, exactly. I think they say he's a third class citizen. He wanted to be a somebody. And and he actually said, Tom actually says it's better to be a, you know, um, a somebody than a nobody or something to that effect. So yeah, but I think in that moment, what led to what ultimately led to Dickie's death was the fact that Tom 
felt helpless because he he couldn't manipulate Dickie anymore, and Dickie yeah. caught on to him. Mm-hmm. He knew he was a fraud, and Dickie was dismissing him and saying, "Look, your ride's over, pal. You're not going to live off my dad's money anymore. Go back. We're done here." I think he remembered that time when uh, Freddie and Dickie were sharing the. Uh the booth listening to jazz music. Yes. <laughs> one one thing that we all been there though with a friend yeah. that you're hanging out with and their old friend comes to town uh-huh. and you're just like, yeah. oh, that's how it is? Uh-huh. Fine. Oh, that, I, that, I identify that. with Tom Ripley so much in so many different ways. The sunshine. It was shocking. The Marge sunshine, I think we've all experienced, we've had friends that like when there are moments like, wow, that we're really, we're really vibing. Then it's like, you're in other situations like that person doesn't even... Ex- no, acts like I'm not even here. I don't exist. So that mm-hmm. I, I think that reigns true universally in this movie. That Dickie's like wh- whoever is in front of me, is, or you know, if he's into you, you feel like it's the best. You're having the best time. But if he's disinterested, you feel like it's it's very very cold. Um, yeah, he's always chasing that next best thing, that high. Mm-hmm. He's chasing the next thing that will make him feel good. It's probably Dickie also is. pretty empty in a different way. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I. That's what I was saying from the get go. They're they're kind of similar in their emptiness. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, was Dicky into Tom? That's what I'm. That's what I'd like to. That's debate, that out of context. I, that would I, be a great, <laughs> <laughs> great comment to make. I think he was in a certain way. I think he, and if he wasn't, he definitely misled him. I think Dickie was very much aware oh, he that liked, Tom was into him. He liked teasing Tom yes. about it for yes. sure. The whole bathroom scene when he flipped the yeah. towel, he was very much aware that Tom was watching him. Yeah, but he liked that. He liked to use that as like, like a, a thing, like yeah. like a carrot. But mm-hmm. he, I don't think he had any intentions to to act on to it. act on it. But yeah. he liked. Dicky is a full-fledged narcissist. Yes. You know, he loved the attention no matter where he got it from. Yeah. You know, he he knew cuz that's how you can control people. Mm-hmm. You get them to do what you want them to do. And by the way, I think that you can make a drinking game out of either our podcast or the movie itself for how many times the word Dicky is mentioned. <laughs> Dicky, Dicky. It's which, such a fun name. It's a fun name. Know, yeah. It is. Dicky is Dickie a fun Greenleaf. name. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's a great, it's a great name. It's the late 50s too, so it's the perfect period for that. Yeah. Uh, so are there any other thoughts in general about the movie uh, or your overall you know, assessment of the film? Does it still hold up for you over time since you rewatched it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's definitely a movie. It's, it's, it's very heavy, you know, and it's a psychological thriller, so it's something that you have to pay attention to. So with that being said, it's not a movie that I would watch all the time frequently, but it is It's not defi- a feel-good film. No, <laughs> exactly. No. That's it's not I mean. my league of their own. No, no. No. <laughs> But it's definitely one of those films I think that certainly makes you think. And when you when you if it is on TV and you catch it, it's very stylish and it will catch your eye. And um, I think you you notice more when you watch it more. Well, I was too young when I saw this movie yeah. the first time. I did not understand mm-hmm. the um, the relationships between Dickie and Tom, and then Tom and Peter. Yeah. And Tom just wants out toward the end. Mm-hmm. Like he's had a he gets his little. Phil, I think of living that life. Yeah. But his lies catch up with him, and he finds somebody who does genuinely, genuinely care about yeah. him, and who does genuinely sees the good in him. And he's saying, "I want to erase all of the bad," mm-hmm. and wants to be with Tom or be with a uh, Peter. Yeah. And when they're on the boat toward the end, he's like, "There's, you know, what I would change about this moment? Mm-hmm. Nothing." Yeah. That he feels love, and he feels accepted, and that he feels seen, and then. Kate Blanchett has to come and ruin it. Mm-hmm. And that scene where he strangles him, mm-hmm. I mean, 
my heart broke a million times for, t- for Tom Ripley, which and is probably because I'm not. A, I've never murdered I, anybody. I promise. <laughs> I was like Peter, such was probably one of the most honest characters in the whole story, he and killed the only, yeah. literally killed the only chance he had to mm-hmm. be accepted and yeah. seen and loved. Yeah, and it makes you wonder why, you know. Well, because I think he was a. He was a criminal, and I. I still don't think he understands fully that he is a homosexual. I think those are still. Do you want? Do you think maybe the guilt, the overbearing guilt of how, how evil and how bad, like this coming from Tom, how evil and how bad he was, he felt like he wasn't worthy of love. I would, a- and that's mm-hmm. probably why he killed Peter because he realized no, he Peter killed Peter because he was going to get caught and he had to make a choice. Well, that too, but I think it was also a. a he said, "Do you want to stay down here? We can't leave." Like mm-hmm. that was a last-ditch effort to not yeah. get caught by Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, which by the way, you would still get caught. You mm-hmm. murdered somebody in yeah. your boat." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like what do you like, half of, he would be caught a million times over because there would be. Have you yeah. seen this guy? Like somebody would know what Dicky Green, <laughs> Dicky, that what uh-huh. Dicky looks like. Yeah, that a would real not. Dickie, yeah. Well, I think that's why the movie ends with that yeah. because number one, there's no, there's you would have to create so many plot mm-hmm. circumstances that he wouldn't get caught. So I think it pretty much implies not only does he murder, and that's the end of. You know, he's basically rock bottom, but he probably gets caught yeah. and goes to jail. And it's I think he realizes he can't keep it up anymore. He can't yeah. keep killing everyone. Mm-hmm. I said Peter will understand. You should just tell him and make a go of it. That's also, Matt Damon's yeah. highlights upset upset me in this movie because it was the fifties. He's not getting those sun and locks. Totally, I agree. <laughs> that was the one off part. And his <laughs> teeth. Is he wearing fake teeth in this movie? I don't know, but they did look like really crooked. They were really like large. And he does have like yeah. yeah. I think it's because he lost a lot of weight. He lost, he lost 30 twenty pounds. pounds yeah, in this movie. exactly. And so I think it made his still it like now that bathtub. It made his face like look thinner, so did, it made his teeth look bigger. Was Tom? I guess Tom Ripley is maybe in the book was supposed to be thin or whatever. Um, well, it was also the fifties. I mean, mo- yeah, everybody, yeah, yeah eat better. I think it was that he was so thin and slight, and he was. He, it goes into that the fact that he is not a person that he's well, not even he's real, real presence and well, he's very homely like he probably couldn't afford yeah, me, but he's lot. hollywood mad damon homely let's get honest <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got a he's got a blonde he's got a brunette rinse and some teeth okay and that horrible green swimsuit that upset me oh yeah the person that make, likes him the most is, is uh, dickie's dad he's like he's the one that's really into tom but if all the men would have just listened to gwyneth paltrow toward the end of the movie it would have been solved but she's a hysterical <laughs> woman and she knew what happened mm-hmm. <laughs> yep oh yeah oh yeah no doubt about that i did like the italian uh detective too that was another character i liked who knew, who was on to him oh, but yeah. did it in such like a subtle way but he he, he knew that tom was suspicious but again mm. find a photo of dicky <laughs> that is Again, the drinking game. It's going to be perfect, you know, for... And uh, I did like that shot, and then I'll, let's, and then I'll stop talking, um, where he's looking at the piano and his reflection comes apart, so it's like he's becoming Tom again because he has Peter. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, I, think, I think that was right after he was like, I want to put all of my bad thoughts in the basement. Mm-hmm. He closed the lid of the... Th- and then it separated. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I really enjoyed that shot. That's mm-hmm. all I've got. Oops. And Matt Damon, you're yeah. the best if you're still listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also wanted to give an interesting mention to Walter Murch, who's a legendary editor in, in Hollywood. He was the editor for this film. He also directed one of our very f- the film, his only film, one of our earliest podcasts, which was uh, 
Return to Oz. Mm. Wow. So he was the director yeah. of Return you to Oz. You guys did Return to Oz? We did mm-hmm. do Return that to Oz. That movie is bonkers. Yeah, it is. It is. Very much so. I must have missed that one going through. I listened to Twister. I listened to Twister. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, get, I have to listen well, to Return of, to Oz. Some of ours are... Uh, iTunes cycled off. <laughs> they're the on Podbean, Podbean still, yeah. but they're not on iTunes. Really, so. iTunes cycled them off. Yeah, they like they only do the last twenty or so. But I can mm-hmm. I can always re I can always throw it back up there, mm-hmm. get uh, it back in the cycle. Yeah, for this film for me, uh, I felt uh, uh, is well crafted on every level, yeah. and I I think there's a lot of nuance to keep it interesting. I think maybe because Tom is such a, I'm more naturally drawn to more dynamic lead characters, and Tom is such an introverted character that maybe it's not a fault of the movie. It's just not a movie I would revisit too often compared to some other films. Like we talked about American Psycho, which takes place. There's a lot of differences between mm-hmm. those films, but I think Patrick Bateman is a great dynamic character that I love watching, yeah. even though it's just as violent, if not more so. Well, Patrick Bateman, he does. He's it's 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 funny. Mm-hmm. He doesn't yeah. take himself so seriously. It's comical. There's this. There's Tom is not comical. No, it's it's not a satirical movie at all. It's just very sincere, yeah. like psychological thriller. Um, but it's beautiful to look at. It is a gorgeous it looking really movie. It's well crafted. Yeah, I, I think the acting's good. All everything that Sean said and you guys have said. Um, but I think uh, you know you could take thirty minutes off this movie. I think. Um, because there's a lot of scenes where there's nothing really going on. They're just laying around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think you can shuffle the deck on some of the actors. I think you can swap Kate Blanchett and Gwyneth Paltrow. I think may maybe make it more interesting. But I think it's a good movie. There's a lot of good qualities to it. The acting is good. Maybe they should have cast Renona Ryder. Renona Ryder. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, she would be she good. She would have stolen the movie. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. 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 <laughs> Winona forever. <laughs> well, you know why she almost th- she started shoplifting after this movie. Oh, right? <laughs> come on, let's not go there. <laughs> I think this is around that same period. Uh, she it's didn't get girl interrupted. <laughs> yeah, girl interrupted was good. Uh, anyway. She made her come back though. She's on the biggest TV show. She's my girl. Yeah. So uh, I usually end the podcast by saying, if you the best place to watch a film for me outside of an actual theater is on Blu-ray. And it is on Blu-ray. It was released in 2013. I'd imagine this is great to look at on Blu-ray because it's, oh, it's a yeah. visually stunning film. This is definitely one of those movies, you know, like after I watch it, I'm always like, that's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. It's just so well done. I mean, you, you really said it, Sean. Even if it is a little bit too long and maybe we change some things about it, it's a really awesome story. Like he and Peter end up together. Yes, but Peter doesn't die. I really am so sad. I can get over Dicky, but like, oh, I don't I care really, that Dicky dies. I really was so sad about Peter. Dicky was kind of garbage, and I was fine with getting Orin. I love Freddy. No one liked Freddy. Oh, yeah, I was, Freddy was. So I was like, oh, he's gonna take that. Yeah. Vi- oh, he did take that statue in the head because I didn't remember uh-huh. this movie. Yeah, I was like, I think he dies. Oh, he does. Yay! But mm-hmm. when Peter goes and he's stri- like, I know, and the way Mr. and strangling Ripley is crushing me. Well, crushing me. Like, oh my god! Well, strangling is such an intimate way to die. You're literally no, it is. You're holding someone's <laughs> neck. It is. It's not like it's not like shooting someone from afar with a gun. No, it's or not. hitting somebody with a with an oar. Like strangling is 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 really personal. Yeah, and it that is. was. And I think it was so sad of all the characters. You know, the person that really loved him the most. He had you know the most intimate death. Maybe that's symbolic. I don't know. It's one of the toughest deaths to watch on screen yeah, too. Is somebody being was. strangled because it it's was. slow and it, uh-huh. it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And th- I think it's also the element that you could stop it. But you yes. keep going. That's mm-hmm. it's, there's something really disturbing about that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, I wanted to thank Andrew for joining us today yes, on the yes, podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you were fantastic. Uh, yeah. Is there any shows coming up, uh, Andrew, that you'd like to... Uh, When's this dropping? Um, I would say, like, <laughs> for this, we can even edit this out. Uh, <laughs> we should leave that that's part the, in that's the, out. That's the, whenever you said we should edit it out, we should leave it in. Right, right. Um, yeah, just give a general sense of what... Um, I'm in Love Hurts at the Nest on February 15th and 16th at 9.30. Yeah, so, okay. What is Love Hurts? Um, it's like, like a combination of different... Like, some storytelling, some uh, games... It's a, it'll be a fun improv show. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There we go. That's good. Cool. I don't have anything in the pipeline right now. Uh, I'm just hibernating for winter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. You get to just. I'm in the nest shows. I have uh, shows months a month. Uh, Pocketland Cafe Kerouac, and that's it for me. And I just want to keep uh, plugging away on Cinema Wheeler Tay. Uh, we want to thank everybody for listening and continuing to listen as usual. You can find us on Podbean and uh, iTunes, and you can also follow us on social media on both Twitter and Facebook. You know, please rate us and Absolutely. comment. Yeah, comment on, on any. Real any quick, it's called Lovesick Stories and Letters uh, from Relationships. I think I called it something else. So, um, ah, there but you go. Still, yeah, Lovesick Stories and Letters from Relationships, Friday the 15th and Saturday the 16th at 9 30. There you please go. Come. That sounds emotional. Yeah, we'll could be. There you go. With well, the name like "Love Sick," which is a Bob Dylan song, I which imagine is a it would be fantastic song. It yes. is. It's I'm looking. The lead track off of uh, "Blood on the Track." Blood, uh, no, uh, what's it called? Uh, "Time Out of Mind." Time Out of Mind. Yeah, yeah. I'm terrible with details today, so that's. Uh, but that is a great song. <laughs> edit that <It> out. <laughs> no, edit, edit that out. <laughs> um, we this should name our podcast fix. "Edit it." Right, right. <laughs> fix the book. Um, and who are you? <laughs> well, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll see you next time. Take right. care. Bye. Of course, Dickie's idea of music is jazz. He has a saxophone. My ear, jazz is just noise. Just an insolent noise. It's very nice to meet you. I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody than a real nobody.